I've had some, some uh, major challenges in my life since recovering from post-traumatic stress. Welcome to Beyond the Beers. Men breaking a stereotype through conversation. We men love a good yarn, some banter, even better over a beer or tea. Sadly for many men, it never goes deeper than that. This show is a place for men to go beyond the surface level conversations, a chance to learn, listen, laugh and grow. I'm your host Mike Campbell, man coach and author of Amazon bestseller for men's health, Unleash Your Alpha. Let's break stereotypes through conversation. Let's go beyond the beers. On today's show, I have with me James Greenshield. Now, James led over a hundred frontline soldiers uh, for Australia in combat in Iraq during 2006 and 2007. Then on April 23, 2007, James and his convoy were hit by a roadside bomb. Like many others, when he returned home to Australia, he came back a very different person. He was angry. He was detached from his wife and kids. James didn't realize that the hollowness and anxiety he was feeling was a sign that he was within the grips of post-traumatic stress disorder. He didn't know how to communicate that intense hollowness and separation he was feeling. Like many men and many soldiers, thinking that he should have all the answers himself led him into a dark and difficult place. Now James chose to go outside the military to seek help for his post-traumatic stress and recovery and that story of recovery and the journey home as he calls it to the real James is a truly remarkable and inspiring one and it is exactly why I wanted to have James speak at the recent Beyond the Bears event. This interview is part of that day. James initially stood up and shared a keynote speech with us which was an absolutely remarkable and inspiring talk. Afterwards, him and I sat down to have a chat and go beyond the beers. So first of all, mate, thank you for being here. It is great to connect with you in person. Uh, it's great to have you share your story with the group. Um, I've been having little bits of conversations with people and I've seen the resonance uh, in them and what you were saying. Certainly myself, I, I absolutely loved it. It was a great um, presentation, but a great uh, story. And I really connected with it. So thank you. Thank you. So let's go beyond the beers. So let's just start off around that. Is there anything, I suppose, in your life where you maybe segment? Do you have situations, guys, people that you do the banter, stick to the surface? And then is there other areas where you go deeper? Or can you intertwine those? I think. Uh to, to walk the streets, you have to be able to intertwine. Because there are some people who don't want to go beyond the beers. Some, would I be right? There's some people who just do not want to go there. I, I had a great conversation with Dave last night. It lasted three hours. Uh, you and I connected really, really quickly like that. And you know, all of a sudden, we had to get off the phone because we had to go and do other things. Uh, a couple of nights ago, I, I had another great conversation with, uh, with a guy. And then in between all that, uh, one of my daughter's friends, her father, wanted to have a beer with me. And I asked myself, do I want to have a beer with him? Yes. So I went in and he just wanted to grill me about, you know, the uh, Battle of Long Tan and, you know, the geopolitical situation. And it was all surface. And he actually didn't really care what I thought. Uh, he was an angry individual who uh, is really angry at himself for allowing himself to not go out and fulfill what he knows he could do in life for being scared. Does he acknowledge that in himself? No. Is it my job to tell him that? No. Because I would hurt him. 
and he hasn't got the skills and the, the tools to actually be able to deal with, with that wound. So I think entwining, mate, is a, is a really important thing and realising I'm on my own journey too, you know. When I work with people around a campfire or whatever, I love to say to them, listen, I'm climbing my own mountain face over here. You know, it's just that you're on your own mountain face over there and you can't quite see where the next hold is. So I'm just going to tell you, yeah, bit your left hand, put it up a bit to the right and there you've got a hold there. It doesn't mean to say I'm not struggling to grab with my right hand on this hold over here. I'll give you the big tip. And I've had some, some uh, major challenges in my life since recovering from post-traumatic stress. But at the same, so I use my friends now to say, hey, Cheese, Cheese is my nickname if you haven't figured that out. Um, when I talk third person, I go, Cheese, uh, put your hand there and I'm right. Cool. And so, uh, so let's break that down in terms of now maybe when you were very much in a, a case of um, a place of post-traumatic stress and then prior when you were maybe first kind of getting into the military and stuff was there a difference there in the people that you were talking to and, and what it, you know where the conversation was going yeah so uh, dad I mentioned before he was an Anglican priest a farmer a chaplain to the army to the country fire authority and, and to the police uh, and then mum was a teacher at the Roman Catholic school so I grew up on a farm in every conservative paradigm imaginable, uh, which is why I used to call myself an institutionalised moron. Uh, so I then went from, I used to say, deported out of country Victoria to boarding school in Melbourne, straight out of an all-male boarding school into the military. So yeah, you can imagine the paradigms which I came to life with. Uh, as a young kid though, I was bullied extensively. Uh, I jumped on a school bus that would drive us an hour out of town and uh, they would take me and smash me into power poles. The year 12s would beat the shit out of me when I was only you know, 12 years old. So I learnt the wildebeest technique, which was the lionesses go for the fringe dwellers of the wildebeest. So if I'm in the centre with lots of friends around me, then I am more protected. So I became very gregarious and able to have acquaintances. Difference between friends and acquaintances, would you agree? <coughs> Yeah, so I had a lot of, lot of acquaintances, which in my mind I, I actually linked as friends. So it became really important for me to, to satisfy other people's needs and caress their egos and make them like me because that was my self-defense mechanism. Bring me into the military as a leader. If you have that characteristic and you have to tell someone go and they might not come back because of the decision you make, that's, a, that's not a good subconscious program to have within your system. And I still had it and it played out. But at the same time, my level of training was able to offset that so that I could um, go to a default leadership setting that I needed to, to play. But at the same time, it would creep in unbeknownst to me every now and then. So part of my journey of, of recovery, I don't call it recovery anymore, I just call it the journey home yep. to who I really am, is to, uh, there's people out there who don't give a shit about me. Matter of fact, I'm just James Greenshields. He possibly, half of you didn't, most of you didn't even know, like three hours before. And some of you will totally forget what about me in a, in a couple of days' time. That does not matter. That doesn't affect me. So I am insignificant. But at the same time, I'm exceptionally significant. Because I am the master of my own reality, the captain of my soul. And it gets, it gets thrown around that term a lot from the, the poem Invictus. And I used to, if you've heard the poem Invictus, who's heard the poem yeah, it's an amazing poem. And I used to say, gee, that's me. Bullshit, James. It was what I wanted to be. And so that's become a bit of a, a, um, a creed 
to, you know, I am now more there than not. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when I'm not, I acknowledge now that I'm not and I've got to go back to that creed and live it. Yeah. So let's touch on that a bit quickly then, you know, in, in terms of something to live your life by perhaps. So um, can you take us through a journey then, now and previously? What was it? What was your value set? Were you aware of it? And what is the big driver for you now? Right. So yeah, I used to always call myself a values-orientated guy. Loyalty number one. Loyalty to what? I, I didn't even understand loyalty. Loyalty has to operate between two things, two entities. Uh, and not only that, loyalty to an organisation means you've got loyalty to a soulless entity. Loyalty has to operate from soul to soul. And if it doesn't, then it's, it's really hard. And, and part of my recovery was when I was lining out my values, I said family at the top. And I, re I said family because I had been selfish in my career choices before, which had affected drastically my family. So obviously the, the logical decision put family at the top, James, you'd be right. And I'm sitting with it and I'm really off and it's not sitting right. And I had integrity underneath and then something dawned on me and I became emotional. And as soon as you become emotional, especially myself, I, I realised, bang, I'm there. I'm on something. It's really resonating with me. And I realised integrity needed to go straight to the top. Because what is integ integrity? It stems from the opposite of integrity is compartmentalisation. Integrity is the union of whole. It's all elements of our life coming together within ourselves to be in harmony. So if I am putting my family above that, that actually means that my family can call my integrity into question because they are of a higher value and they must take priority. And I'm going, no, 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 no. So I flipped it and at the same time realised if Kirsty ever or the girls ever call my life into integrity, ask me to do something which is not integrous and, and I did it, I would have to walk away. That actually means I would have, for a person who married for life, thought he married for life, I would have to leave my wife. Now Kirsty and I have divorced over 40 times. <laughs> so can you go into that a little bit? Because... If I hold on to Kirsty, then, um, Nick, can I borrow you? Can you go anywhere? Right. It's because you're not trying. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing is, you can't go anywhere because I'm holding him there. So if you're growing in life, are you going to get there if I'm holding you? No, I'll be stuck. Yet, are we trying to, as, as mates, get to some place in life? Yeah. And what am I doing to you? Yeah, holding you back. Holding you back. Thanks, man. That was an awesome demonstration. <laughs> um, <laughs> James, choose your partners wisely next time. <laughs> um, but, but then I, I, I'm going to retard the, the woman that I love, my goddess in life, and I'm not going to allow her to be the woman that she can possibly be. So... As a man, I've had to realise the most courageous thing I can do is to love her so unconditionally she can walk out the door. Now, would I be gutted if she walked out the door? I would have to go through a grieving process because I love her so dearly. But I am willing to do that because I love her so dearly. Hence why we've divorced over 40 times. And I shit you not, guys, three months ago I sat in front of her like this. She was there and I was here. And why was she that far apart? Because she couldn't stand my presence. I was triggering her that much and she went, James, I fucking don't love you anymore. And if you're a male and you can stand there and realise that's not about you, that's about her, you're in a fucking powerful position. 
because the masculine's about the rock, the feminine's about the wave, the wave of emotion, and she'll test us. She'll want us and our masculine to be able to sustain all the crashes, and she did that right there, and all I could do was love her more. I, she could not, nothing that she could do or say, nothing, I didn't accept any gift because the gifts weren't mine to accept because what she was saying was about her, not about me. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think we can get that, right? So that, uh, that ability to let her go and, and allow her to grow means that I can do the same. And that's, I've got to learn that I'm going that direction too. Yep. So if I stay back here and I don't grow as an individual and it's all hurt, no, no, she's going to walk away because I'm not there. So then, okay, so what is it right now? What's your driver? What's my driver? Fuck men. <laughs> um, I, I just want men to own their shit. Yep. I really do. I, I've been in the pain, guys. You know, I've, I've sat there and how the fuck do I remove myself from the planet? You know, and it'd be so easy to get, just leave right now and, and everyone would be better for it because shit, they wouldn't have to put up with my shit. And I've been there, I've done that, you know, and, and even driving the car, just looking at that, that truck and holding the steering wheel straight was really, really hard. You know, and there's, a lot of people don't understand how many suicides actually go on because single vehicle accidents aren't recorded as suicide. Yet there's an incredible amount of single vehicle accidents which are suicide. We've got a tradie committing suicide every fucking second day in this place. Veterans have got this, I've served, therefore I deserve fucking mentality which is killing them, it's crippling them. This entitlement mentality has just cut into our society so deep that we believe we should get it all on a silver platter. Guys, wake the fuck up. Life ain't a silver platter and you would not enjoy it if it was. But by fuck, when you get out there and you do the hard work, who's, who's like gone to the gym or done something really, really hard yakka and got to the end and just had that breath where you've taken in life and you've looked at your product and you go, that's fucking awesome. Who's been there? Yeah, that's the shit. That's the shit. And all men have to do is put up our hand and say, hey, I don't believe in this old stoic, emotionless fucking picture of masculinity. It's wrong and it's killing us. And our fathers did the best they possibly could with what they had. Mm. If we blame them, we're fucking no better than anyone else. Matter of fact, we're less than them. We're owning our shit means we, I have two daughters, they're 10 and they're eight. And I am playing, every time I run on the footy paddock, I'm playing to get best on fucking ground, but I know I don't judge best on ground. Someone else does. The thing I judge is knowing inside myself that I've done what I possibly can, all I possibly can in my fucking life right now, and I swear a lot, I apologize about that, not. Um, I, I, I've done everything I possibly can to, to gift me and be me. All we have to do, it can be, how many PTs are in the world in the room? Yeah, yeah? Nathan's different to Nick, who's different to Vit. I picked you as a PT my way, brother. It's your hair. Um, who's <laughs> uh, different to Mike, yeah? You're all different. There's, once we learn to come together and collaborate, not compete, you know, Mike and I, we do roughly the same thing. Dave does stuff, and there's probably heaps of people that do the same thing as us. But you don't do what I do. I don't do what Dave does. I don't do what Mike does. Yeah. So pick someone you resonate with at a heart level and open up and help. Get help. So that's what's driving me, brother. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, so let's change tack a little bit and, and, and dig into something that you said there, which I think a lot of guys 
um, could benefit from because sometimes it's a bit confusing and we've got different pictures of it. So yeah, you yeah. spoke about the masculine rock and the feminine wave, so yeah. to speak. So can you elaborate on that from your perspective? What is it? How do we actually figure out what it is for us? I understand who you are. Yep. And understand, oh, I'm so, listen to my language. I'm going to own this. This is about me. So you take what you want from me, but this is just about James Malcolm Greenshields. So, for me, the masculine is sets the direction. It's the thing that, that allows uh, the feminine space and, and, um, and a vehicle to take their manifestation and their creation and vector it in a certain way. And that comes through the masculine's direction and drive. It's the thing that is uh, that, that um, young, uh, young father with the, I remember my daughter um, at the age of, you know, two hours in my arms. And if, if anyone, has anyone been in that situation before, yeah? Now, if someone had to try to hurt that young person, what would you do? Anything. The, the energy that I went into in my presentation about coming home, yeah, yeah, that's, that's masculine warrior energy. And for me, the ability to flow and the dyke, the Kenya dyke in, in um, Kalamantan taught me this. 62-year-old guy, I tried to follow across rocks in a rapid and I couldn't catch him. He was like a 12-year-old. He was so agile, nimble, and he was a child. But then, bang, he changed into the shaman and he protected us from the evil spirits. Bang, then two o'clock in the morning, silence, and all of a sudden, bang, literally, he just killed a deer, which was in the morning, brewing up freshly for breakfast, you know? And it was pitch black. How the fuck he saw the deer, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> one shot, by the one shot. And, uh, and they just flow because they're so present and connected to who they are. So for me, the masculine is is connecting, and remember your genetics, you're 51% masculine, 49% feminine. So it, a lot of us have father wounds, a lot of us have mother wounds. Un understanding that you let your fucking fathers go. And I had to do that with dad. I, for so long, dad passed in 2003, and I was there when he passed. For so long, even after he passed, I was trying to prove myself to him. Yeah. He didn't want that from me. He loved me and so stop trying to prove ourselves to anyone else and just be me. And since I've been able to do that, fuck, my world's opened up, you know? And I'm a so much better parent. I'm a so much better lover. And for me, for a while, I had issues in the bedroom. I couldn't get that masculine um, uh, sexual confidence about me because I, I chose to be shamed at a very young age in a um, changing room at a, at a swimming lesson. And my, me and my penis, you know, besides cunt being the worst thing you could call another person, by the way, again, like pussy, the thing we most crave, then it goes cock, dick, penis, doesn't it, really? So we, what we've done is taken our sexual organs, the thing which actually bring life and our miracles unto themselves, we've shamed ourselves from it, and we've shamed our sexuality. So I had to release that shame in myself, and when I go in and, and understand, and please, gents, I know this is going to be recorded, <laughs> Once you understand what I'm going to say, very respectful and sacred. I, I teach young men this very young. We put a rite of passage thing. A woman's area, a woman's, a woman's genitalia is sacred. And she's allowing us, I shouldn't say us, because that's, again, I'm a visual person, so I've gone multi-dimensional on that. <laughs> but, uh, 
She's allowing me into her sacred, most sacred reverence space. That is a sacred act. If I violate that and I don't trust, I, I, I don't help her by allowing her to trust me, then holy fuck. And what's our relationship going to be like, you know? So I can't, I don't have sex with Kirsty anymore. I can't. If we're not communicating, I, I can't get that feeling that I want to make love. And I've got, I'm a fairly uh, high libido dude, you know? Um, I love sex or making love. But I can't do it anymore if I'm not openly communicating with her because it means I'm not openly communicating with myself. Yep. So I go inside myself and I get really centered and then she wants me to take control at times. At times, she wants me to take control. She wants me to fuck her like I want to fuck the world. But when I use that term, that's, it's, a, it's a reverent term because she wants that energy being vectored and her to... Remember, who here reckons you make a woman come? Most biggest misunderstanding men have, you do not make women come. A woman allows you to help her make her come. One simple mindset. And to do that, generally she'll have a vaginal orgasm. Sorry, correction, clitoral orgasm. If she goes both clitoral and vaginal at the same time, who's had to hold on for, for dear life when she's going <laughs> off like a frog in a sock? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I guarantee you that hasn't come by just having sex. I'll guarantee you, you two were connected in some way, shape or form, and she trusted you. When, when Kirsty allows and trusts me and lets herself go and relaxes, she hits the fucking roof. Yeah, and I do hold on like a minute. And you know, you get the cramps and you get the gut ache. Ah, oh, it's, it's true, am I right? Yeah, so that's because we create and hold space. Dave said it before, we hold space in a sacred thing. We allow the woman to be herself. And, and she then goes in the way, in a direction that she wants to go. If we learn that, and we just concentrate on ourselves and go into that confidence, the bedrooms, Awesome. Sorry. Nice. How are we feeling? <laughs> <laughs> Who needs to leave right now? <laughs> okay, great. So let's let's delve into trust then. Ooh. Right? What is it? From your point of view, how is it kind of how do we understand it? I think trust can be broken down to three predominant components if you want to get uh, like clinical on it. And I, I sometimes So that was a pretty good example of trust. Yeah. So trust, you can look at mental proximity. So if you look in any conversation or dialogue between two people, uh, when, the, when you hit a subject which the both of you resonate with, then all of a sudden the conversation will go up a level. It's like, um, who's an AFL player here? No one likes AFL? <laughs> oh, he does not apply. Who likes AFL here? Okay, now we've got it. Uh, Scott, uh, what team? So obviously, <laughs> conversation ain't going too far. Okay, who's had, a, who's had a drug or two in their life before? Okay, now we can talk because I support Essendon. So, you know, if you know anything about Essendon. <laughs> there was a meme going around on TV, then it had a guy, an Essendon guy taking a screamer. It was said the first Essendon guy this year to get high without assistance. <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. But um, mental proximity. So in other words, we could have a chat about AFL and then it would go to the next level. And oh, 
what team are you on? It's like what religion do you have, yeah. you know? It's just, but so you might let them in a bit more. Common bond. Common bond. Yeah. And that's the next step. And that next step is disclosure. When you, okay, you'll give a bit more of ourselves and we'll disclose. And then we must um, back it up with respect. If we don't respect the person and what they've said, yep. then the person will bring, will lock back up. Does that make sense? So you just, like I'm a bit of an open book. And if you want to ask me a question, I don't, I don't run from any question unless I don't have the answer. And I'll tell you, I don't have the answer. And that's a really good question. I'll get back to you. But like, I can develop a trust. Who has a trusting relationship with me now, although you haven't even talked to me? Yeah? And that's because I'm, I disclose, we hit a level of mental proximity. Some of you have got more than others. And then you're respecting me and I'm respecting you in this moment. And so we can take that to a whole new level and then Mike and I come together and we bond and bond and bond. So if, if we as men don't have a, aren't setting a direction in our family, our family will not have trust. Because there's no common bond, there's no mental proximity, there's, there's no, where the hell are we going? How many relationships fall apart after the kids leave the, the house? That's why our divorce rate's so huge, yeah? Who are you? Was I married to you once, Vince? I don't know you anymore, man. So we've lost that shared purpose kind of thing in terms of the kids, yeah? Exactly, the kids have become it instead of us. Kirsty and I will, to ensure we trust each other, one, communication has to be high. Um, and we will often leave our girls, I don't tell docs this or that Department of Child Services, don't tell them this, but we'll often leave the girls on their own and have done since Abby was the age of seven and, and Penny was the age of five. Do they have cupboards and shit fall on them? Yes. <laughs> when we're away, have they been able to figure out what to do when a cupboard falls on them? Yes. So, cool, put that aside. <laughs> Kirsten and I... We trust each other implicitly because, you know, it's um, because we keep doing that. We keep yeah. communicating. Yeah, yeah. Just quickly, because I know you want to move on. But the, one, since I stepped up and now doing what I'm doing and out there in front of people, there's a lot of women who want me. It's, but understand this: they don't want James Greenshields. They want the energy that James Greenshields puts out. Yeah. And if I went and shagged Mike after this, after he's done with me, he'd go and then walk away because he's got that energy and I've given it to him. And then my ego would crash, Tiger Woods-esque, yeah? So the thing is, Kirsty had to realize that when I was really successful in the military, everything in my family fell apart. So what, did she, what do you reckon she felt with me becoming more successful in what I do now? Sorry? Same thing was gonna happen. So she's had to release that program inside herself because she was holding on to me. Yeah. And that's all about trust. You know, she had to release that and trust that I can go and do what I'm going to do and I'm still going to be me. So communication, respect being the, the big things and coming through there. Very yeah. nice. And an open book, I think. Yeah? <laughs> Mate, okay, so we're going to wrap up. I want to ask you one question. <laughs> and that is something that's quite often maybe cliche in an interview and it's what would you say to the younger James? But I want to flip it around. When did you enter the military? The age 18. Okay. If the 18-year-old James was sitting here, what would he say to you? He's witnessed this. Let's say he's witnessed this so far. I'm proud of you. And do you think he would recognise? Do you think he'd be a bit perplexed? Do you think he'd be like, oh, okay, I don't know the path to that, but maybe it'll happen? What do you reckon?
He's in tears. Yeah. He's in tears and he's proud of me. Very nice. So, and I, and I ask that question because I think it's something important for, for all of us to think about. I think it's very easy to say, oh, what would I say to my younger self? But actually, what would that younger self say to you or think about you or, or, or what kind of a conversation would that be? Um, I think that was very cool. Mate, that's our interview. Thank you very much. Can I, um, yeah. can I just, I'm just going <laughs> 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 I, I have the humblest of respects to people who try and interview me. Um, in Iraq, and I, I, I'm, this is not a political statement, but two and a half months into the tour, we realised why we were really there. And it wasn't to do what I went to Iraq, thought I was going to Iraq to do. It was there because I realised that we were waving an Australian flag. And us as a command team in charge of that mission realised that. And that totally changes how you have to operate in a, in a, a conflict environment. It means that you have to change your priority to force protection, in other words, protecting yourself. The issue with that is that can turn it into the favour of the enemy because you become an easier target. I walked into my guys, I got them all in a room like this, 110 of them, and I said, guys, why do you reckon we're here? And they said within a nanosecond, actually it was the guy who was the hardest of the soldiers, to, he was called a bush soldier, so he was great to have in a firefight, and I had him in a firefight, and he performed awesomely. But take him into barracks and he would just, everything, every shit fight he could get into, he'd find himself in it. In a nanosecond he goes, to wave a flag boss. And I said to them, I said, guys, on my heart of hearts, I apologise. I've only just worked this out. In that moment though, I realised, we still had four and a half months to go in theatre. We were not going anywhere. And we had a, a job which we could do. We had more resources than anyone. And so I, sat in, I stood in front of them and I said, guys, I want us to develop the grandfather test. And the grandfather test is you in 30 years' time on Anzac Day sitting there having a beer with your grandson on your lap. And you are wearing your medals. And he points to your Iraq campaign medal and he says, Granddad, why did you get that medal? Are you proud or are you ashamed to tell him why? And that was the grandfather test I gave my soldiers. 97% of my soldiers passed the grandfather test. 3% didn't. And I think that the grandfather test is a great test for life. And what I ask guys in the work that I do, I say, you're on your deathbed and your kids are in front of you. It's an early deathbed, by the way. And your kids are in front of you. What six messages would you give them? And it's all really cliche. My next question is, how are you living them in this moment? If not, why not? What needs to change for you to own those messages, be those messages, and practice what we preach? And that's, you know, that's, that's a daily job for me, my brother. Very cool. So where is this all taking you now as we wrap up? In the world, James Grandshaw's? Well, funnily enough, this whole video thing on, um, on Facebook uh, has led to an accidental program called uh, the Put Your Hand Up. So my family and I are going on the road from Cairns right around to Perth um, doing a one-day workshop for men to help them, you know, understand masculinity, get a bit of a structure. But it's more than that. It's, it's about, um, you know, and we'll t chat about this afterwards because I'd like you in the room as well. Um, and it's about community. Cairns is different to Mackay, which is different to Horsham, which is different to Melbourne or Perth. Every community is different. 
there are people out there like yourself, um, and I was hearing what Nathan's doing with, um, with weight loss, you know, that's awesome. Um, Dave's down in Melbourne. Getting people that are already out there doing stuff in the room as well. So when yeah. a bloke puts his hand up and goes, shit, I need help. And I'll say, rightio, Scott on Tuesday night runs a men's group. Go and have a chat to Scott. If you resonate with Scott, just go and see him and ask him about help. You know, Dave runs one on Monday night. You might resonate with Dave or you might resonate with Mike. Don't leave the room until you have a contact details of someone who you resonate with. You've got a framework who's going to help you on that path. So that's the Put Your Hand Up campaign. Uh, if you want to know more information about it, just go to putyourhandupaustralia.org. And uh, we're coming to Sydney in early, uh, late November, 20, 27th of November, I think. Awesome. So yeah, that's it. Looking forward to seeing that happen. Mate, thank you very much. We're going to have more of you, obviously, but it was great to sit down and have a little bit of a one-on-one, -on -one, kind of. <laughs> Cheers, brother. Make sure you share this episode with at least one man you think will enjoy or benefit from it. Now go out into your own life and start having these more meaningful conversations. Ask for help. Ask a mate how he's really doing. Or if he just wants to have a real conversation and go beyond the beers.